Hi, this is Carrie. This is Kathy. And welcome to Naturally. Naturally. So we are, it's my turn to host this week and Kathy is with me and then we have a special guest with us. He is Mick Haven and is one of our local park superintendents at an undisclosed park. Is it okay if I share? Yes, an undisclosed park. <laughs> okay. One hint for you, there may or may not be water. Wow, that's a good hint. Yeah, basically, any uh, state yeah. park yeah. he could be the superintendent of. So do, do There may state? or may not be trees. Could I just claim to be, like, from Minnesota State Park? Well, you are on naturally dot, 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 Arkansas, so oh, okay. I feel like you probably might narrow it down to at least Arkansas. Okay. So, today we are going to talk about the Civilian Conservation Corps. The CCC. CCC. Our overarching theme for today, that the CCC's influence in Arkansas recreation continues to impact your recreational opportunities across the state and will for generations to come. So, CCC has done a lot, but we're going to start at the beginning of the CCC. Sure. So, uh, to set the picture, the CCC begins in 1933 uh, in the midst of the Great Depression. President Roosevelt has taken office, he's been elected, uh, and he's inaugurated on March 4th of 1933. And within his first uh, 100 days, he's planning on doing a lot of stuff to try and combat the Great Depression, one of which is what he calls emergency conservation work, which is something he had kind of played around with in New York when he was governor, uh, but now he's trying to bring it to the, the federal level, to a nationwide effort. Uh, and so he's inaugurated March 4th. He goes to Congress with the idea of emergency conservation work on uh, March 27th. I'm sorry, March 21st of 1933. And uh, a few days later, March 31st, Congress passes the bill and they give Roosevelt basically blanket authority to develop this program. And so uh, Roosevelt uh, organizes it, actually by hand. You can find online his original flowchart for how it'll work. And what his plan is, is that they will take young men, ages 18 to 25, and send them across the country to do conservation work. Planting trees, building parks, controlling erosion, doing all sorts of things as a way to uh, get young men back to work. Because at this time, men are at about a 25% unemployment rate. Young men, 18 to 25, it's even higher. It's closer to 40 to 50%. Um, so we've got a large workforce that needs something to do. Um, and so Roosevelt organizes this. Uh, April 5th, he appoints, uh, I can't remember his name, Fechner, maybe. I'll have to double check that. Mm-hmm. He appoints a labor leader, a union leader, uh, to head this effort because he is, the, the labor unions are very concerned. You're ruining labor. You're going to pay these men a dollar a day to do all this work, which is a very competitive wage at the time. I can confirm that, yes, that was Robert Fechner. Robert Fechner. Very good. Um, so anyway, uh, the first man is enrolled in the what was called emergency conservation work at the time. It wasn't the Civilian Conservation Corps just yet. Uh, is enrolled on April 7th. So that is a week after the bill is signed. And the first camp is opened on April 17th in Virginia at Camp Roosevelt. And by July of that year, 300,000 men, 18 to 25, are enrolled in the CCC. Um, They're being sent to 
camps all across the country uh, to get to work. And it's just one of the most rapid mobilizations of young men ever in peacetime. So uh, that's how it all gets started. Which I wish my flowcharts were that efficient, number one. And then number two, you'll have to remind me because they, how much did they get? Because they spent like a portion home to dear old mom and dad, right? Yeah. So when you enrolled for the CCC, um, it was a coordinated effort between three branches of government or three uh, executive departments. You had uh, the Department of War at the time before it became Department of Defense. Uh, And this was Roosevelt's idea. It's on that flow chart. And it, you know, goes from Fechner to the Department of Labor, who recruited the men, to the Department of War, who would uh, transport and outfit the men, and then the Department of the Interior, which would develop the projects and places that they'd be working. Uh, And so if you were a young man, 18 to 25, you could sign up for a six-month stint in the CCC. Uh, you could serve up to two years, a maximum of four uh, deployments, basically, with the CCC. But you'd sign a contract for six months at a time. You'd make $30 a month, a dollar a day, uh, $25 of which was held uh, to go back to your parents and your family in your local community. So really, you're making a quarter a day, but your your food is being provided for you. Your housing is being provided for you. Your uniforms, your shoes, your tools, you're getting all this chance to learn and grow uh, and also see parts of the country that, especially at the time, were, you know, wilderness and way out there because uh, those first 300,000 men were all from the East Coast and they're being sent to Montana and California and Wyoming and all these places way out there in the boonies. Um, but yeah, you get, you know, these three departments all working together, signing these men up and sending them off across the country. Mm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being 18 years old and being like, I'm going to jump on this train and go to California and work at this thing they call the CCC. I'll send you 25 bucks. Bye. Yeah. And I mean, you don't <laughs> like, know, don't know what you're going to be doing necessarily. You don't know where you're necessarily going. You could be from New York city, you know, and grew up in the Bronx and be sent to Yellowstone or Yosemite or, you know, Big Bend National Park, way out in the absolute middle of nowhere to build something. Um, then when, you you know, you signed up, it may have been the first time that you got a new pair of shoes. It may have been the first time you got a vaccination because they were putting 200 men in each camp. You got to, you know, there's got health standards, fitness standards. Um, and you're being issued, especially in 1933 in those first years, it's surplus World War One equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uniforms they're getting are surplus World War One. When they first show up at your camp, when it's first established, you're living in tents that are surplus World War One tents. Uh, and as the camp moves on, depending on how long the project lasts, they build barracks and things. But wow. uh, I mean, it, it was rough living. You got, I think, eight guys per tent, two hundred men per camp, uh, and a few army officers to try and oversee it all. I can't even imagine. No, I would say I'm getting almost AmeriCorps vibes is almost kind of, you're talking about, would you do that at 18? I wish I would have known more about AmeriCorps when Mm -hmm. I was that age to. And then AmeriCorps is really the, I guess really now like the grandchild of what the CCC was doing really. So uh, fun fact, the CCC was never actually discontinued by Congress. Mm. It was never dissolved as an agency. It just no longer receives funding. Mm-hmm. Um, it could theoretically be brought back, uh, 
but then also the AmeriCorps, uh, different state conservation crews are sort of the successor. It's just not nearly as widespread right. or as uh, prevalent as it was back then. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was really just about getting money into these boys' pockets um, and also just spreading federal money all over the place. Because those, those kids, those CCC boys, you know, they're earning their dollar a day. They're working 40 hours a week, which is a lot better than working on the farm, working sun up to sundown for potentially less money, uh, working in a factory. You know, they're, they're earning their money. And then at the weekend, they're, they're off. Mm-hmm. They get bust into town. They get to go into the local communities and spend that money. Uh, meet, a meet a girl. Meet a girl. There's yeah. plenty of, you know, there are a lot of communities that really didn't like the idea of the CCC mm-hmm. camps because I've got 200 young men, you know, living right outside of town. That's could be risky, right? Um, they're, you know, uh, but that was part of the, the army discipline that was instilled in them through those officers. Drunkenness was prohibited in all their camps. You couldn't buy alcohol in the camps. Uh, you had to show up for a roll call every morning, mm-hmm. do calisthenics every morning. Yeah, there were the, you know, the World War One veteran camps. Um, there are also African-American camps mm-hmm. uh, and indigenous uh, persons camps as well. Uh, CCC actually started out integrated. It was one of the very few, you know, programs that was integrated from the get-go back in the 1930s. And the Southerners, when we started establishing camps in the South, mm-hmm. uh, threw a fit, basically, about the idea of white and blacks living together and working together. Um, and then also a lot of Southern communities didn't want a camp of 200 black men outside of their town. And so uh, the CCC was segregated, I think, 1935. Mm-hmm. Um, and they established all black camps, uh, which still had white officers in charge. Um, but And then there were all black World War I veterans camps. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite parks in Texas, Fort Parker State Park, was built solely by uh, African-American World War I veterans. Nice. And the greatest tragedy was after they built that park and it was open, they couldn't go in it. That sucks. Yep. Wow. So, you know, segregation still existed in in the parks. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that money is going into that community, though, that they're, they're based out of. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the dollar a day they're getting. It's they're buying food mm-hmm. from the local farms and grocers to feed all these boys. Um, they're hiring people from the community. Do you guys know about the local experienced men? So I know I was reading one of the newspapers from the Crowley's Ridge company, and they were talking about local professors mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. in, sounded like from the area. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if that's what you were kind of going towards. Sort that. of. Um, so there was the educational component where you could do uh, – a lot of these boys don't have a high school diploma. You know, a lot of them stopped at the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're bringing in teachers to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, you're only working 40 hours a week. You got some some leisure time. Mm-hmm. And so teachers are coming in to, you know, teach, you know, all sorts of things. You could get your high school diploma. You could get uh, learn Spanish. You could do all kinds of stuff. They'd also bring in uh, local experienced men. Because, okay, the Army's overseeing the camp, and you've got National Park Service architects drawing, you know, what you're going to build. Who's teaching them how to do masonry, carpentry, plumbing, electrical work, whatever it Mm -hmm. might be? They're hiring professional tradesmen from the local community to come in 
and teach these men and oversee the work. Um, and so those men are getting paid and they go home and they spend it in their town and then their grocery store and at their doctor's office and all that stuff and spreading that money around some more. Yeah. I, I saw one thing while doing some research for this, that there were about 50,000 men that learned how to read and write mm-hmm. in a CCC camp. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at uh, a sample schedule from that same newspaper I was talking about that, yeah, they had on Monday night citizenship from 8 to 830 in the mess hall, agriculture, um, game preservation, teacher training, forestry, typing, first aid, arithmetic, and penmanship. Were all classes that were offered. Yeah. It, they're not just out there building parks and planting trees. They're they're building men. They're building a whole generation mm-hmm. uh, to give them the skills that are going to go on. Because these are the guys that, you know, fight World War II and the guys that lead to some of the greatest economic prosperity in our country in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and really, you know, helping bring uh, trades into these guys that li- allow them to lead prosperous life the rest of their life instead of being you know some poor farm kid from iowa you know um there's uh, some real notable alumni of the ccc that you guys can find on on wikipedia that, mm-hmm. um famous actors musicians professors all sorts of stuff um Aldo leopold worked for the ccc mm-hmm. at a certain point um he was a forester but he wasn't actually an enrollee but Mm-hmm. One of those guys brought in to help teach him how to do stuff and design work and everything. Nice. Nice. I know lots of these places, which I know for the ones in Arkansas, the a, a couple of them, the Department of Interior had plans for and helped kind of guide what they were doing. One of those camps was Petty Jean, of mm-hmm. course. And everyone on this podcast knows, and you guys know, I talk about Petty Jean. Any chance I get a chance to yeah. talk about Petty Jean. And so, um, whenever they did that architecture and how they built things, and I feel like it's a theme throughout the, really all the CCC camps that I've seen in Arkansas was that they use the native stone, they use the native trees, the buildings that they built and the structures that are there still, they look as if it was part of the earth right there anyway. Like all we had to do was uncover it and then there it was. And so I always thought that was really interesting that even like the people planning what these guys did, even if Mm -hmm. the guys didn't have the forethought to know this is what this needs to be, there were people at the camps that were directing them in such a way that they accomplished things that are still standing and Mm -hmm. being used I mean, close to a hundred years ago. Yeah. Honestly, like we're coming up on a hundred years now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the style for the national park service at the time that, that NPS rustic architectural style that used native materials as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, at, you know, Petty Jean, you see the native stone. If you go to Buffalo point, mm-hmm. you know, you can go out to the quarry a mile away from you know, where the cabins are built and see where they actually cut the stone. Uh, if you go out West into like New Mexico and stuff, they, you know, start building Adobe things mm-hmm. out there to blend in with the native, the lo- local culture and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, so one of the parks I worked at was Bastrop state park, which is, uh, it's in Texas. It's a national, national historic landmark based on the work of the CCC. Wow. Um, there's 13 cabins there. 
every single one we have the original plans for, and every single one is uniquely designed based on the topography of where it will go. Nice. And so you can see exactly what their thought process was and how the cabin's designed based on the, t- the topographic map that it's designed on. Um, because the National Park Service at the time, these architects that were working for them, believed any structure was a blight on the landscape. And so the idea was to blend them into the landscape as much as possible. So you see lots of like low horizontal lines, you know, and uh, native materials as much as possible. Uh, just really fantastic stuff that just would be incredibly expensive to build nowadays. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine building another Mather Lodge? No. In today's time? Like... Well, even those cabins. With, oh, yeah, even the cabins up there. They're just like, wow. With, with stone that is specifically cut to fit in that spot. You know, it's hand-cut stone uh, to go in a specific place. The, the architecture is easily, you know, the longest-lasting thing. There's a great book mm-hmm. called Park and Recreation Structures from 1938, which was put out by the National Park Service, and it's full of pictures and plans of everything. Campsites, cabins... Uh, picnic shelters, all kinds of stuff. Everything they would build. This is the ideal way to build it and what you should do. And it has some just great look at work that the CCC wow. was doing. So this exists? Yeah. It's like all, this book? It's all online. You can check We're it about out. To nerd out. No, I think I'm about to go buy it and have it on my coffee table. Let's talk about a conversation piece. It is a really cool book with some great examples of CCC architecture. And stuff that's just not feasible in parks today. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys know about the CCC trash cans? No, tell me about that. Okay. So, I, I love the CCC. But I will tell you, this is the worst idea they ever had. Uh, and I don't know how prevalent it was, but it was used in several parks in Texas. Uh-huh. So, anything, any structure to blight on the landscape, right? Uh-huh. We want to hide these things as much as possible. So, what they did... Was they dug a hole. I was about to ask if there were some holes. Yes. It was a hole lined with concrete. Uh-huh. And there was like a like a long metal bucket that would <laughs> rest down into the hole. And so a visitor could put their Jimmy trash down in it. It was narrow. It was only about, uh, you know, like a large coffee can. Oh. So, but long. And there's like an internal bucket that you can lift out so the park ranger could go by flip it up, pull that bucket out, dump the trash, put it back in. Except, you know, you're talking about a three-foot-long metal tube full of trash mm-hmm. that it's going to get kind of heavy, right? And you have to try and lift it straight up out of the ground. And so they were quickly abandoned, you know, because they were either, you know, full of trash or they got filled up with other stuff or whatever it was, but... You know, it was their attempt to try and keep... Trash cans are ugly. We don't want to see trash cans. Let's hide the trash. And uh, can you just imagine if you still had those at, at Petty Jean? If every campsite no, had... No, that would be miserable. I don't, I don't know how many parks those trash cans were in. I know they were in at least three in Texas. And it's just... That was a bad idea. I'm, I'm glad they went away from that. Oh, man. I'm glad, too. I can't imagine cleaning that up. Did you have to pull one out of the ground ever while you were... No, there? there's no more in use. They, they are, were they, like, are the cans still there? Like the, the holes them? are. You can still find right. the holes. Um, now, about the, the strangest thing you know, we had seen in, in Bastrop, uh, we have CCC uh, water fountains that are out in the middle of the woods. Cool. 
Like, I mean, they're two miles off a trail. Would that have been, like, maybe where a camp originally was, or...? Uh, so, it was it was a trail that was there. Okay. And there, uh, in Bastrop, originally, it was all gravity-fed water. Mm-hmm. They built a big water tower nice. at the highest point in the park, and then it was all gravity-fed, and so there's CCC water lines underground that lead to that water fountain. That's cool. Wow. But I just, you know, man, did we have to give them water? <laughs> uh <laughs> But, you know, they did weird stuff like that. They did historical uh, architecture. The the mission in Goliad was a Spanish mission from the 1700s. They restored it. One of the things I really liked at, at Bastrop, too, was they would take these young men. If you showed a particular talent for something, they tried to develop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Bastrop State Park, they also put built the furniture shop there that built all the furniture for every cabin in Texas State Parks. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and so there were certain men that you know, really showed a knack for this, and a knack for wood carving, and they would give them special assignments. And in the refectory, which is like the big lodge building at Bastrop State Park, there's these beautiful carved wood uh, Native American heads oh, wow. that are part of the mantelpiece. Um, in that building, and it was a special assignment of a young man that had the artistic talent. Uh, and that young man went on to be a professional artist after that. But he was man, in the CCC, so cool. he developed his skills. A lot of, like, because I know there was even, you know, we have so much reverence for the CCC now, uh, but a lot of that, like, immediately after the program, nobody thought twice about it. You know, it was just something that these guys did during the depression mm-hmm. and you know, Oh, it's, it's a fine building, but you know, think of like the office at Petty Jean, you know, yeah. the original CCC office, how many people worked in there and hated working in that building because it's too small for what you need to do. Right. Well, yeah. By the, by the sixties, especially it's like, you know, these are just old stone oh, yeah. buildings because they hadn't always been taken care of because during the thirties, when, you know, the CCC is the beginning of a lot of state state park systems, mm-hmm. and all this money came in to build all this stuff, but it was still very, very rustic. Mm-hmm. You know, the cabins at Petty Jean, probably mm-hmm. when the CCC built them, I don't know, but I, I'm guessing they didn't have electricity, and I'm guessing they didn't have running water in them when they were built in the 30s. I want to say that Petty Jean got electricity 19... 19- 38 okay. sounds about right. So, so maybe they, they were electrified at the cabins? Maybe so, because the lodge, I think, was built in 1935 or 37. Okay. So it, it was probably built and then electricity yeah. added on later. But, but these buildings are still very rusty. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there's mice in them. There's snakes getting in them. There's so. all that stuff. And, yeah, still today. But and think of all the work and money that's been spent to help seal them up and climatize them and add air conditioning and all that stuff. Um, and so all these states that, that didn't have the money that, you know, Arkansas necessarily had to take care of their CCC stuff. Other states just sort of, you know, hey, thanks, federal government, for the money and for all the cabins and, you know, these parks. And then the money just dries up and there's no money to take care of them or maintain them. Or anything and so you know even by the 60s a lot of them are in disrepair across the country yeah. but we hit that magic 50 year mark in the 80s right now they're historic and a lot there's a lot more money and you start seeing them put on the national register and things like that and you know doing some more preservation work for them 
Yeah, I, I'd say Arkansas State Parks has done a lot better job than like the the Forest Service mm-hmm. CCC areas. I'm thinking of one that's like down by Jesseville. Mm-hmm. I think it's on Highway 7. And it's just some little frames. Like the Forest Service had some interpretive panels at one point. They've been scraped off to bits. Like you can't even read half of it. It's just kind of... They're- it's not it's falling apart it's yeah, not going to be there forever so yeah, but they're, they're not easy buildings to maintain no and especially the forest service you're talking you know nationwide they've probably got thousands of ccc structures mm-hmm. um and that's not even talking about the, the infrastructure that they built the bridges the culverts the dams mm-hmm. you know all these things to make trails and roads and you know lakes and stuff in parks and recreation areas that you know, it's a massive undertaking to try and maintain them. Yeah. Um, and so I know, you know, there's CCC parks that have been entirely closed and transferred to the, you know, local city public, uh, public yeah. parks or even private parks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of things have just sort of fallen into disrepair too. Yeah. Um, so why, why do you think, I mean, I think we can all think to ourselves why these places are worth preserving, but why do you think Nick, that they're worth. Uh, so these, you know, these parks are not only, you know, a monument to the, the history of their time. Um, it's a real legacy of conservation that helps show that no matter the circumstances, we can improve where we are uh, and what we have. You know, the CCC was taking places that were you know, cut over by timber companies that were eroded by bad soil management and, you know, agricultural practices and improving them and, and putting service before self um, and developing, you know, great men by doing that. Uh, because these men that were in the CCC, you know, CCC lasted until 1942. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sort of disbanded shortly after, you know, uh, Pearl Harbor happens in December of 1941. So we enter World War II and, okay, we need to get all these young men into the real army, not the tree army. Um, and, you know, these men are going from, okay, well, I, I lived in an army camp for, for six months. I listened to army officers that ran the camp. I, I ate chow in the mess hall. I did all this stuff. They're able to transition directly into the army these officers have been overseeing these men, are experienced. They know what they're doing. They're going straight into leading soldiers now in the real army. Um, and these were the same men that, you know, put the environment before themselves and helped learn all these things. And now they're going and putting, you know, themselves right in the fight for the preservation of democracy in Europe and Japan. Um, and so really just making a huge difference in their lives through, you know, service um, and what they left behind these buildings these structures the dams the culverts whatever you know we want to talk about mm-hmm. um, is a testament to their ability to grow to become men in the purpose of these camps to you know develop something bigger than themselves and it it led to the infrastructure for parks as we know it today most states wouldn't have a state park system without the ccc um, Arkansas, yeah, we had Petty Jean, but do we have much else at the time? Not really. And uh, it led to, I think, a big part of the, the environmental movement in the, the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So do you think that we can also grow in 
overcome challenges because of these the lessons that the CCC have left behind and because of the the structures that are there for us to remind us of that? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we the the CCC shows that you can grow and you can exist perfectly in harmony with nature and your environment, right? With those structures that blend right in. You can make a difference and every time you visit the park, you know, you could uh you can pick up trash, you can do whatever you want, you can help in the park. You can do it at home and helping conserve your resources. If you really want to go even further, you can sign up for the modern descendants of the CCC, like mm-hmm. the uh, conservation uh, crews that exist in various states or AmeriCorps and the NCCC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those opportunities are still out there, too. So uh, there's no reason that it has to, to end in 42. This is still a lesson that can go on. Recreational opportunities for Arkansans is increased because of the hard work of the CCC and will continue to impact us in the future and for future generations. Yeah, so my challenge for listeners is to go out and visit a CCC camp, a CCC structure near you. It could be a camp that's no longer there. You just see the ruins of. You could go explore Petty Jean. Um, what I'll do is share the websites that I found for Arkansas CCC sites. So you can literally scroll on there, pick the closest town, go on a Friday night after you get off work, do something fun on a Saturday morning. Um, but we always want to encourage you guys to get out and experience something new and uh, seeing a CCC place, and I, I hope that whenever you see it, you see it with clear eyes now, and that you get the under, the understanding that, that these men put in hard work so that you could enjoy the benefits today uh, very selfly. Yeah, the perhaps. whole effort of a nation went into it. Mm-hmm. So with that, we, uh, we thank you for listening, and we hope you come back to listen to us at Naturally... Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to Mick for uh, being our special guest this week. Thank you guys for having me. Always happy to rant about the CCC. We'll rant about other things again Monday, too. All right, and with that, thanks.